And I think that was one of the first moments where the head knowledge went to my heart. You see, you know, in Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says the spirit will testify to our spirit, crying out, Abba, Father, showing that we've been adopted into sonship. And it was in that moment where that passage goes just from merely being in my head that I'm adopted into sonship into my heart. Mm -hmm. And I started to see a change in my life from this truth nestling into my heart and having the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me into truth. Welcome to Unquenchable, where we discuss all things biblical theology, listening prayer, and Christian living. Each week, we will share a discussion, an interview, or a story that will feed your spiritual curiosity, helping you to better understand the Bible and receive inner healing so you can grow in intimacy with Christ through prayer. When Jesus met Nathaniel, he called him an Israelite with whom there was no guile. Our guest this week, Summer Lily, is one who we always appreciate the spirit of humility, sincerity, and gentleness with which he carries himself. He's a member of our prayer team who's been with us since close to the beginning of when all of this began. Although he was not one of Don's students at the time, he had heard rumblings in the dorms of what was going on in Don's classes and in our prayer meetings in the Divinity Tower. In this interview, Curtis shares about his journey of listening and prayer and how praying through things led him to move from head knowledge to heart knowledge concerning his sonship with God the Father through Christ. As you're listening today, why not click to subscribe and give us a five-star review and make our day by sharing what this show means to you in a review. Curtis, would you tell us a bit about what was going on when we connected? Yeah, it, everything really started at my sophomore year. Because at this time, I, I switched my major to theology and apologetics, and I'm digging into my theology classes. And at this time, I've really just been digging into the Word at Liberty. I've been spending a lot more time in prayer through different mentors. And one of the things that I noticed is that whenever I read the scriptures, I saw a noticeable disconnect for my life. When I read Galatians 5 and you see the supernatural joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, long-suffering, and then when you look in Philippians 4 and the supernatural contentment and the abundant life that Jesus came to bring in John 10 verse 10, I was thinking to myself, something's missing. Something's not right. Like, why am I not having this all the time? There would be pockets of it, but it wasn't this continuous enjoyment of peace and contentment and connection with the Father. And I was thinking to myself, something's off. You know, and I, I'm missing something here. And as this time as I'm going through kind of this this struggle in a sense, this internal struggle as I'm trying to understand how these things connect. And then I started hearing rumblings on the dormitories where I lived of what you're doing in prayer. And one conversation that specifically stuck out to me was with um, a friend of mine that lived in the dorm next to me. One of the things that he talked about was how you led this um, style of prayer in his New Testament theology class. And now this is a guy that I would trust. He's a little bit more critical of things and he's a little, he's quick on dismissing things. And so if he had something that he didn't think was right, he was going to tell me. And one of the things I'll never forget, one of the first things he told me, he said, it's the real deal. He said, there's three things that came up in prayer. I worked through two of them and now I'm trying to get through the last one. And I'm thinking to myself, Okay, maybe there's something to this. And because of that, and from that conversation, I went and sought you out in your office. And this is when you're still at the town's yeah. <laughs> building before they um, demolished, demolished it. it. Yeah. yeah. And so I went to your office and we were talking and you told me to do three things. You said, get the book called Listening and Healing Prayer by Rusty Rustenbach. Sign up for my John class 
and come this afternoon to the New Testament survey class because I'm going to do a demonstration of the prayer. Well, I did all three of those things, and this is where things really started picking up speed because then I signed up for your John class and got started with that in the fall semester of my junior year. It's my first year as an RA, and I came up to you in that class, and I wanted to experience this prayer with you. I wanted to have you lead me in listening early prayer. Mm -hmm. So what happened when you came that day to visit? Yeah, so I'll never forget this. We were in the common area of the student union and you know there's people everywhere right and but you and i are just sitting at a table and you begin the prayer session and it was like blinders came up like i just couldn't hear anything else but what was going on in the prayer and what the lord is bringing to my mind and how he's leading me and it was and that in itself was a major significance for me i mean i was like wow, how is this even possible to have this much clarity and focus in prayer and then one of the things that really stuck out to me in that prayer session was that the Lord brought to my mind a picture of my dad. And it was in a picture frame, and it was me and him. And it wasn't a comforting picture, really, at all. And that's because it, there's been a lot of struggle with my relationship with my dad for all of my life. And you continued on in the prayer, and then I remember um, the picture frame kind of flickered. It moved real quick, rapidly, and then... It was no longer my dad there, but it was the Lord there with me, and he had his hand on me. And it was showing that he was a compassionate and loving father, that he was rich in mercy, rich in steadfast love, and that he was close to me. And there was this security that I found in that. And I think that was one of the first moments where the head knowledge went to my heart. Because, you know, in Romans 8, 14 through 17, it says the Spirit will testify to our spirit, crying out, Abba, Father, showing that we've been adopted into sonship. And it was in that moment where that passage goes just from merely being in my head that I'm adopted into sonship into my heart. Mm -hmm. And I started to see a change in my life from this truth nestling into my heart and having the Holy Spirit lead me and guide me into truth. So after this time in prayer, what changes did you notice in your life? Yeah, the first one was pretty incredible. So I was walking through Damas and as I was walking through and there's all these people around me, it was the first time I just realized, like, I'm not thinking about what these people think of me. I'm not really worried. I'm not concerned. There was a security in myself. And one of the things that the reason for this is that I had this kind of security was because I was actually secure in the Father. And I was connected in his love. And I knew his love was unconditional. And there was this kind of redemptive element from the relationship with my dad and how that relationship with my dad affected my view of the father. And it was just redeemed in that moment where I had this kind of peace and this contentment. And I wasn't necessarily concerned with what the people thought of me. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible to see how when that truth nestled into my heart, that connection with the father, it not only changed just me internally, but also changed how I treated other people and how I interacted with other people is now when I'm talking to someone, I'm not worried about whether they like me or not. It's this kind of sense where, well, how can I, how can I love them more? Mm -hmm. And, and this is where scripture really started to come to life for me in this moment. I mean, everything started to come to life. I think of John 17 verse 17, where it says that um, where Jesus is praying to the Father, and he says, um, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. And one of the things Charles Spurgeon actually spoke about that is we grow in proper sanctification as we grow in proper understanding. And I would tweak that a little bit, and I would say we grow in proper sanctification as we grow in proper believing 
taking that next step from just understanding mm-hmm. conceptually to believing it in our heart and having this change come about. Mm-hmm. And I started seeing this happen in my life. And most noticeably, when I think about um, Jesus talking about having the easy yoke in Matthew 11, and as we know, when he talks about the yoke, he's talking about his teaching. There's the rabbi's teachings. And what's his teachings? The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And we read it and we're like, wow, this is difficult. How do I accomplish this? Well, through the intimacy with the Father and through being connected with him and secure in his love and connected so deeply with him, and it took away those lies and those insecurities, it became a lot easier to live that out. And I think there's a major scriptural precedent for this, especially when you reflect on passages like Proverbs chapter 27, verse 19, where it says, as the water reflects the face, so do one's heart reflect the life, you know, and so one's life reflect their heart. And I started seeing my heart change and I started seeing how my life was changing because of that, because of intimacy with the Father, because of security with Him, because of contentment with Him, because of connection with Him, and rooting out the lies and having truth being nestled in in my heart and sanctifying me and having me live these things out. And it was an incredible, incredible thing to get to experience and know and understand. So by this time, you'd already switched your major from exercise science and theology and apologetics, right? Yeah, that's right. So tell us a bit about how you processed what was happening through prayer. This was a long process for me. I would say it was close to a year, year-long process of really trying to grapple and understand of what I experienced in prayer and trying to really see, is this biblical? Is this from the Lord? Is this God? Is this Him really working in my heart and my life in these ways? So as I was reflecting on this, I was thinking of the scriptural argument for it, okay? First, is there a scriptural precedent for the Lord communing with us, speaking with us in these ways? And when I open up the scriptures and I look at a passage like John 16, verse 13, where it explicitly says that the Spirit will not speak on his own accord, but will say what the Father and the Son say, and he will lead you and guide you into all truth. And one of the things that, you know, I often, when I thought about that verse and I thought about specific verses like that, oftentimes you think, well, this is directed towards just the 11 disciples, you know, or just directed towards the apostles where they have the authority to um, write for the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that Andreas J. Kostenberger, who's known as like one of the foremost John scholars in the world right now, mm-hmm. conservative, evangelical, one of the things that he talked about is that's true. Yes, there's a specific um, application to the apostles to be able to write for the New Testament. However, there's also a broader approach. There's a broader application that goes to the church at large. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And he backs it up with referencing Romans 8, 14 through 17, where it says that the, the Spirit will testify to our spirit, crying out, Abba, Father, adoption to sonship. And, and that right there shows a communicative element between us and the Holy Spirit. And so right there, I saw a scriptural argument for it. And I was like, okay, that's great. But I was still struggling with it. I was still grappling with it. And so I see that one argument for it, the biblical argument for it. And then I started seeing the changed life for it as well, as I saw my life become more fruitful for God. And I started seeing this just really pour out of me. And and when it makes me think of the passage in John 15, verses 4 and 5, where it says, Jesus says, if you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And one of the things, once again, Andreas J. Kostenberger, incredible scholar, he says that word abiding means intimacy, means fellowship, it means connection, it's trust, it's obedience, it's prayer. 
And I'm starting to see this intimacy with God flourish in my life through praying in these ways. And I'm seeing the fruit come in my life. But I was still grappling with it. I'm like, oh my, Lord, is this really you? Is this really you? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But then I started thinking, well, I can't really think of a scriptural argument against it. So I'm like, well, I continually have a scriptural argument for it. Continually don't have an argument against it. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm kind of grappling with it. But the nail in the coffin for me was spring semester of my junior year. I had a friend back at home that messaged me. And so we FaceTime and we started praying through things together. And we went specifically back to a moment in time that was very traumatic for this person. And we were in the heart of the prayer and I started having doubt. So I was like, Lord, I don't know if this is you. Or is this really you going on? Is this just this person's subconscious? Is this just, what, what is going on here, Lord? I, I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing. And as I was having those thoughts, as soon as those thoughts started coming to my mind, this person looks up and goes, Lord, just tell me to encourage you right now. And I was kind of taken aback. I was like, okay, first of all, we both have our eyes closed. We're not even in the same room. Mm -hmm. How can this be happening? And I was like, okay, all right. Okay, Lord, I think you're saying something here. And then we continue on in the prayer, but I'm still having the thoughts. And so this person goes once again and says, the Lord's just focused on you right now. You got to kind of take a deep breath, calm down. He's with you. He's guiding you in this. He loves you and you're, and you're doing well. And then we continued on through the prayer and finished it out. And that was kind of the nail in the coffin for me because at this point I'm thinking to myself, well, for one, uh, there's a scriptural argument for it. Two, I'm seeing a changed life where there's more fruit in my life for God. Three, I can't think of a argument from Scripture against it. And four, I'm having an experience right here with someone where who is receiving things from the Lord that I can verifiably test and say, well, this is true. This is going mm -hmm. on right now, yeah. and you would have no way of knowing. Yeah. So you said you struggled with this for about a year. Yeah. So during that time... The way that the prayer team formed was I was just getting swamped. I might have maybe 10 students a week coming and praying with them about an hour and a half apiece. And after a while, I realized I don't think I'm called to pray with that many people all at once forever. And so I realized, well, maybe if I were to take some of the people that we prayed through things with and we trained them, then we could have a team of healed healers. Instead of hurt people who hurt people, we could have healed people who heal people. And so you became one of them. And so if you look at the timeline, a year means that you were actually on the team and still struggling. So can you explain a little bit, like, why would you join a team when you don't quite know whether or not it's true or not? Just explain that struggle. Well, first of all, I could continually see in my personal life a changed heart, changed life, arguments for it, and I continually failed to present an argument against it. So I really didn't have an argue, a reason to leave. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things that helped me kind of stay in there. Um, and and the other thing, too, was curiosity. I want to see kind of more of what's going to happen and what the Lord's going to do. Because if it is a work of the Lord, then there's going to be uh, there's going to be a steadfast kind of nature in this and how it goes. And there's going to be um, a lot more that still comes about. And that's what I started to see. I yeah. started to see the Lord continue to work in people's hearts and continue to work in their lives. And I didn't see an argument against them. I'm seeing fruitfulness in other people's lives. I'm seeing deeper intimacy with people in their lives with the Lord. And so at that point, that's when I was like, well, this is, this is good. I don't see any reason for me to, to leave. Yeah. yeah. 
So what are some things that you learned were on the prayer team and while you're being discipled in this? Because you got to sit in a lot of prayer meetings and watching us model it and then you modeling it for others and even mentoring others in this later on. So what are a couple of things that you learned while you were being mentored through prayer? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things, and man, this lesson right here is paid dividends for the rest of my life. I mean, honestly, is you don't know what's going to happen when you're leading someone and listening to your healing prayer. You don't know what's going to come about. You don't know what's going to come up. And there's a little bit of nervousness to that. You're kind of mm-hmm. like, I don't know what's about to happen here. And because of that, you have to really learn to take a step out. And that was one of the things I had to learn was to take a step out to really trust in the Lord and have my ears listening and attuned towards the Lord as I'm leading someone in prayer. And so even though I'm engaged with someone right here, as I'm praying to the Lord, asking him to bring things to their heart and to their mind, I'm trying to listen to them. I'm also having to listen to the Lord at the same time, because this is the thing about listening and healing prayer from the beginning to the end. It's a work of God. It's work Mm -hmm. of the Holy spirit we have a very minimal role. We're just facilitators. We're yep. just kind of mouthpieces where he speaks through us and um, and guides us in this prayer. Yeah. And so one of the things I really thought was a valuable lesson in the discipleship and praying in these ways was having to listen to the Lord in real time. And as situations come up, listening to the Lord, trusting his voice, and acting upon that. And, and things just opened up and yeah. things would happen. And that has transferred just from, not just, it transferred from that time of prayer to life in general. And so as situations come up, having your heart and mind attuned to the Father and listening, and you start to see that He is speaking and He is leading you and guiding you in different situations, and He really starts to reflect the words of Jesus. He says in John chapter 5, I only speak the things I hear from the Father. Mm -hmm. And you start to kind of enter into that and start to live from that place. Yep, very good. Well, Curtis, thank you for sharing your story with us, and we look forward to catching up with you again in later episodes as we dive deeper into how to lead others in listening prayer. I know there's many that are listening to this that are going to relate to your struggles, uh, both being unquenchably thirsty for more in their spiritual walk and grappling with the ways that God speaks to us today. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciated hearing how Curtis did not blindly accept what was happening, but like the Bereans in Acts 17, When he discovered inner healing for those areas of disconnect in his spiritual life, he did not rely on experience alone, but diligently searched the scriptures to see if what Don was teaching was true. And he concluded that one, it fit with scripture and scripture was coming to life. Two, his life was changed. He now had a newly found peace and contentment, and he was now less concerned with what people thought and more about how to love others. Three, he could think of no scriptural arguments against it. And four, he was experiencing objective confirmation through what others were hearing as they prayed together. Curtis's struggle to understand his sonship in Christ was rooted in his own strained relationship with his earthly father. And although he knew in his mind that biblically God the Father loved him, somehow this truth did not feel true. It was only after he was able to pray through his perceptions of his relationship with his father that he was able to begin to receive the truth that God's fathership was far different than what he had experienced in his own family. How about you? How was your earthly father modeled the fatherhood of God? All too often, we transfer what we've learned from our relationships from our mother or father to God. And even if you've had a wonderful childhood and were blessed with amazing parents, they can't help but fall short of the glory of God's loving kindness. So let's take this opportunity to briefly pray through our relationships with our parents. 
Let's pray. Lord, your word says that we're to honor our father and our mother. And at the same time, you call us to despise them and follow you. So we lift up our relationship with our parents to you today, and we ask, would you help us to hold on to that which is good and shun that which is not good in the discipleship that we receive from our parents? So Lord, we ask, would you bring our minds to rest and our heart to peace? And would you show us what were you pleased about concerning how our parents parented us? Would you bring that to our hearts and minds in a way we can receive? As the Lord brings things to mind, just lift them up to him and ask him, what does this mean? It's not necessarily the first thing that comes to mind, but it's that thing you can't put out once it comes. It might be a word or an image or a memory or an emotion. So Lord, would you show us What areas were you pleased with about how we were parented? And Lord, we ask, would you show us what are those things that you are not pleased with? So Lord, we thank you for those things that were good and pleasing to you. And we ask, would you help us to surrender those things that were not pleasing to you? Picture handing these things over to him. Is he willing to take them? Are you willing to let them go? If so, let him have them. If not, let's ask, Lord, would you show us why are we holding on to things that we know that you're not pleased with? Would you show us, are there any lies that we're believing that are keeping us from handing these things over? If so, would you bring these things to our minds? And Lord, would you show us what is the truth? Now, if you know the lie and the truth, Surrender the lie and the discipleship of your parents over together and receive this truth in the places that the lie once dwelt. Lord, we thank you for the good work that you've begun in us, and we ask that you would bring it to completion in Christ Jesus. Amen. If you only made it partway through this prayer, keep in mind that partway is still progress. If the Lord has put something on your heart during this prayer time, We encourage you to lift that up to God through this week in prayer. And just like Curtis, continue to balance your experience with Scripture as you seek to grow in your relationship with God as his son or daughter. If you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, he has made you worthy. And if you haven't yet answered his call, are you willing to seek him and answer him today? Simply pray, Lord, forgive me. I am yours to adopt as your child and surrender all that you are and all of your brokenness so that he can make you whole and make you all that he created you to be. Join us next week when we turning our attention to how what was happening on campus began to spread throughout the church. And not just our church, but also the churches everywhere as we began ministering to pastors and their congregations through listening and inner healing prayer. Did you know that we often lead listening and inner healing prayer retreats and trainings? Who do you know that would benefit from these? Check us out at praythroughit.com slash events to see when we are going to be in your area. And if you don't see what you're looking for, email Don at drlove at praythroughit.com to discuss how we can minister to your family and friends. Unquenchable is a ministry of Pray Through It Ministries. To learn more about us and our ministry, check us out at praythroughit.com.